After the Time Out podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Time Out podcast, we sit down with Coach Jim Tracy, assistant men's basketball coach and assistant athletic director at St. Lawrence High School. We talk to Coach Tracy about the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association, the possibility of a shot clock in high school basketball in Illinois, psychology and coaching, and the continued promotion and development of both boys and girls basketball. Enjoy the show. Uh, Coach Tracy, it's it's awesome to have you on. You have so much experience in in different facets of the game here here in Illinois, and and you know obviously nationwide too with the, the FHS. So uh, we're super excited to have you on. Um, I, I think with you, and we've kind of we've kind of gone away from this in the last couple episodes, but you know obviously early in the year. Uh, we were talking about the COVID situation. So I, I think with you, right. it's, it's really appropriate to kind of, uh, it's kind of a three-part question, right? Um, and, you know, wh- wh- how has the last year been for you? And, and what are some of the things that you guys have gone through with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association and and trying to get basketball to play, you know, the, the whole thing? There's There's so much that goes into it. Yeah, there, there really has been, and that's a great question. We, uh, on our end, have had to, like so many other businesses and, gosh, family situations, everything. There's so much that has unfortunately been put on pause or, or uh, out of necessity canceled. And, you know, we've seen this up even through our abbreviated season here where we've had uh, situations where uh, maybe a team member gets COVID and the other kids have to be quarantined. And so games are lost as a result of that. But, you know, just from the very start, I can remember when, you know, the, the big pause came and we were in the process of selecting our 1A, 2A boys all-stars for the IBCA in Peoria and you know the question in the morning was hey you know we've got the uh the 18 the 4182 teams here you know and they were going to play and then they were going to be able to play with only parents coming and by the time we got to the evening hospitality room social everything had been canceled so in that short of a period literally you know eight nine hours we went from being able for the 1A 2A boys to finish their season which unfortunately they did not get to do to a cancellation of everything and I think a lot of that was predicated on the NCAA stopping things and you know it just kind of went from there and as a result the trickle-down situation resulted in our not having for the first time in our history our um, IBCA Hall of Fame Coach of the Year banquet Uh, that is just an annual celebration of the excellence that is Illinois basketball and that was a tough thing to to have to pass on our our senior all-state kids that get invited to and then participate in our all-star games lost out on that opportunity we still selected those young people because we still wanted to be able to honor them and as you guys know that went right into the season with all the other things that were going on went into the summer situations um, the opportunity for college exposure for the girls side the boys side was you know uh, completely diminished through through all this process you know it continued right on into the fall where we wound up going from what has typically been between 450 and up to 550 600 coaches with our statewide coaches clinic that we could not have in person because of the unfortunate necessary mitigations that were in place so you know we wound up doing a whole lot of thinking outside the box and that actually went back to last spring where we tried to do coaches clinics and serve our coaches that way with you know the the zoom situation which we're all now far too familiar with i think if you ask people about zoom three years ago they'd have thought you were nuts and techno not savvy at all guys like myself would have been scratching our head i still am literally but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's just such a such a crazy thing, but but so much of that has come into play, and then unfortunately we, we've gotten caught up in what I believe has been the uh, the political blowback from our state 
and the IHSA and the IHSA trying to create our seasons for all sports for our kids. And fortunately, that has worked out where even though we haven't been able to have the seasons that, that we are all used to, we've had abbreviated seasons, which have allowed our kids to play and our coaches to coach. And, you know, that that's our bottom line is, is for those kinds of things to happen and all these great experiences and memories made and life lessons learned to, to happen for, for people. And, um, you know, we're, we're thrilled to have had that happen. So I guess, I guess the next step is then how are we working towards back to normal, right? Or as normal as we can be, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, as, as coaches, not only Illinois, but I think everywhere, right? How, how can we, we start to work towards to, you know, have that normal, somewhat normalcy, um, you know, and then hopefully in the, in the long term get back to just what we know. Well, again, so much of that is dictated by the policies in place and the numbers that we unfortunately still continue to see with the COVID situation. And, you know, the, the, another concern right now is the potential rise with these variant strains. And, you know, listen, listen to me talking, sounding like I have a clue what I know what I'm talking about here. But, you know, this whole thing has affected all of us and we've had to learn and find these things out. But in terms of a return to normalcy, we are at least from the IBCA perspective, certainly trying to get us where um, we're going to have a banquet this year for our Hall of Famers. And we'll we'll go with a back-to-back situation, a two-year recognition. We will honor our coaches the year. It won't be in the same format that we've done before. We're looking at an afternoon coach of the year recognition for two years of our coaches. Uh, we will look for uh, a class of 20, and the class of 2021 to be honored together. And this will likely be either very late August or early September, so that we're getting further and further away from these uh, mitigations that say, or that limit the numbers in place that we're allowed to have, because uh, our Hall of Fame banquet has been close to the last couple of years, 1,400 to 1,500 people in Redbird Arena. And the beauty of that facility is we're still spread out. It's a great open, airy venue, but uh, it still comes with those concerns. And as we get more and more people vaccinated and you know everything kind of moves in that direction, we're, uh, we're hopefully uh, going to get that way. This Friday, Uh, We will have our boys all state selection meetings. Our girls chose to go on Zoom, our girls all state committee. And so they finished that up a week ago and our information has just come out yesterday with our all state teams for our 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A girls. The boys will select this Friday and we will meet in Champaign in person. We're going to be in a kind of a banquet room in a hotel where we've got a divider. So we're keeping a 50 person limit as required by the IDPH and but, but again, you talked about getting back to normal. This is what we, we want to do. We want, you know, our, our socialization with our coaches, our ability to network and just to get together and talk ball, which you guys are doing an awesome job of with, you know, right here doing this. That's so important to us. That's how we grow as coaches. And, you know, we try to beat each other's brains out when we play, but I'll tell you, the relationships are the most important thing without a doubt. So we're doing that. Our all-star game, we've set a date for that. We will not have a two-day weekend situation where we bring the kids in and we sleep four kids to a room we're just not wanting to risk that kind of interaction so we're going to bring the kids on the day of the game and you know these kids are such awesome young people already anyway our girls and our boys that are senior all-staters and they'll still have that opportunity to play one final game as high school senior IBCA all-state kids and that will be the last Saturday in um in June. So we're looking at our clinic for next year, uh, just trying to move things, as you said, as close to back to normal as we can and really important for us. And I know we're all kind of chomping at the bit to move away from this thing. And hopefully we're continuing to take strides in that direction. All right. And so like the third part here is let's, let's take the COVID out of it. Obviously there's a lot of tremendous basketball in Illinois. Oh my goodness. Yes. There's tremendous basketball all over the state. Um, how you know like what are what are your guys goals for for Illinois basketball and how to make it stronger and how to keep developing and how to keep growing 
um, and, and stay on that level uh, with with other states and just the high level that we play at? Well, obviously through the IBCA, I think we're tied very much and our relationship has grown so much with the uh, the Illinois High School Association and all they do with, uh, with the awesome people down there in Bloomington Normal. Um, you know, they're about all the sports, which is, you know, in, in the big picture, what we should all be about, but particularly with us in basketball, they know what an amazing tradition we have for, for the game from both the girls and the boys side. And, um, you know, we, we will continue to, to be involved with all those things that we can as we move back to normal and we get the great tournaments at Thanksgiving time and the Christmas time situations. And, and most of all, get back into our state tournament. Our March Madness, I believe, is the original March Madness here in Illinois. We want to get back to that stuff. You know, we, we want these kids to have those great experiences. Unfortunately, we couldn't have that happen uh, this year to the extent that we would like, but basically it's just that return to normal that you've already referenced. So, you know, one of, one of my greatest privileges and I, and I love it is going down to Pontiac every year and voting for the hall of fame. And, and right. I know the, the major strides in Illinois that so many people, obviously Bruce Furchow himself, but so many people have pushed for a museum. So, you know, do you think that Illinois eventually will get a basketball museum like the other States in the Midwest to show that, you know, glorious history of basketball that we have. Yeah, John, really great of you to bring that up. Bruce Hershaw has just been a relentless warrior on behalf of our museum efforts. Um, I could give you the history, but I'd bore you to death with it uh, from way back to 2007 with Danville, um, that falling through and trying to get into a situation in Pontiac, which is just a fantastic community. And they did everything they could go on. A, they went above and beyond with everything uh, that they could put forth there for us. We unfortunately were not able to kind of connect the dots of, of the fundraising necessities. And our bottom line is that to make this a reality, we've got to have the finances. We could not make that happen there. So that has fallen through. But we have since moved up here to the Chicago area. And although we've kind of been in a quiet phase, I can promise you that there have been meetings going on on a regular basis. Uh, you know, uh, while Bruce may look kind of cool, calm and collected, you know, as a duck kind of floating along the water, he is paddling like crazy under the surface. And there's a group of uh, individuals with him, with the committees that we have involved there that are doing the same thing. So that is a work in progress. I will tell you, though, that with our COVID situation in particular, one of the things that's changed in our vision for that is that we are now looking at beginning that process from a two-pronged approach. We had wanted very much to have a brick and mortar situation and a whole bunch of outreach programs that we could have with that bring kids in, reach out to, to, to kids programs uh, in different ways on an outreach basis. But we're trying to go the virtual route now first. So we can tell many of the amazing stories of our history of the game and, you know, our IBCA Hall of Fame, which is just a story group of individuals, um, you know, all the stories that uh, hopefully uh, so many people have an interest in and want to learn more about. Um, we're looking to go with a virtual setup first and then piggyback on that as the COVID hopefully kind of moves away and we get back to that normalcy again, where we can look at and continue to explore more brick and mortar options. But just to get the information out, our hope is to start this out with a virtual museum. The technology today, again, way over my pay grade is, is so special that we really feel we can do some justice to our great stories and great individuals, great teams uh, across the state and, and put that out in that kind of format first, just so that we're kind of catching up to, as you mentioned, John, all the other states around us, which do recognize their, you know, their basketball excellence so that we can tell ours because we believe ours is as good as anyone's in our country. No, no doubt. All right, so now we're going to get to the little controversial question, I guess. This is, this is <laughs> the debate here. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, and John and I had talked about it, the IHSA sent out a survey about rules changes, and we right. kind of thought that that was one of the more, I guess, progressive surveys that had come out uh, yes, as far as rule changes. Right, and um, that's a good thing. 
Yeah, yeah. But we're gonna go to the the controversial one that has very much divide in the state. Shot yes. clock. Right. Okay? Right. Um, first of all, how do you feel about the shot clock? And if we if we do get one, uh, maybe it's maybe it's leaning towards there. You know, you see different surveys and things like that. Mm -hmm. How much time before we get we get a shot clock if we get one at all? Yeah, right. And that, that is clearly the big one that's out there right now. And, you know, we're all looking to see what happens. But, uh, you know, if, if you look closely here, I got a whole bunch of white hair and I'd like to think that's a great experience, but I think it's just old age. But the fact of the matter is I'm one of those more conservative guys. And I'm just going to tell you my perspective on the shot clock is, you know, people fuss about that, but we really have one right now. It just starts at eight minutes every quarter. So, you know, if you want to play the, uh, and again, I, I kid with that and I'll, I'll tell that to the young guys and wait a second, an eight minute shot clock. Yeah. That's, you don't have to shoot till you know, end of the quarter and you don't have to shoot done if you don't want to, but I have been kind of, I don't want to use the word badgered, but nudged gently by many of my young cohorts uh, in, in regards to this thing, my old school perspective, I think, is that the shot clock, clock plays to the advantage of the more talented teams. And I think there's ways that you can play with more talented teams. And I can tell you from my days at Revis where, you know, we were the little guys and I was typically the biggest guy on our team where we passed the ball 20 times before we shot it. And I didn't tell our guys this, but oftentimes our best defense was a good offense where we could just take care of that ball and frustrate the heck out of other people. However, I think the game is growing in a way where, and again, I don't think any of us play for the fans, but that's definitely a component. More importantly, we play for the kids. And I think the kids do like to play faster. They like to play more free and I get all that and trying to find the balance between that and and keeping the game where it still maintains the integrity that's always had I think can still be done with the shot clock I know that there's a committee uh, that has met within our state that there have been some guys and I'll give you Tom Libertino at Loyola as an example Tom's one of those guys that'll pass it 20 times but Tom is a strong shot clock advocate so you know, when I hear a guy like Tom say, hey, I'm for this, I think it'll make the game better. I think that makes people take note. I think it's coming. I think it is going to happen. It's just a trickle down. And when you get into the big picture, and I've been fortunate when we go to our National High School Basketball Coaches Association meetings, and I get to represent Illinois as our executive director, not only do we get the statewide influence where we see what other states are doing, but we get a bit of national and and international influence because USA basketball has come and been a part of our meetings. They talk to us about their vision of what things look like. And really the world model, the European, the South America, those kids all play with shot clocks. They're learning that from a very early age. And look at the NBA now. You know, you see a lot of these European guys, some of the South Americans and, you know, Manu Ginobili will always be one of my favorite South American guys. These guys play that way and they're better basketball players because of it. So ultimately, we want to serve kids and help our young people be better. And if that shot clock opportunity can make that happen, then I think that's the way that ultimately, in spite of my old school biases, that we need to go. I think it's an interesting point, Coach, especially because you brought up Loyola boys yeah. who are definitely known for, for their defense. Exactly. I wonder, if it, I wonder if it also, could it promote actually those good defensive teams? Because now, hey, you only got 35 seconds to score on us and we're yep. good defensively. Could that help the defensive team? I, I absolutely think it does. And I think that, that, and I haven't talked with Tom greatly about this, but I've got to believe that's a lot of his perspective. They are so solid defensively that for you're going to have to work your butt off to get a good shot every time in that 35 second span. And, and that's like, uh, you know, driving nails into your fingers here or something, trying to do that against Loyola. So um, yeah, that, that, that's a great point, John. So Todd and I are, are obviously we have, you know, we've both done about half our careers in the boys game and half in the girls game. Mm -hmm. And this past weekend, the, the women's final four was phenomenal. Oh, loved it. So, you know, as, as in the IBC and in Illinois, you know, how do we, cause I think Illinois does a phenomenal job as, as a girls coach, how do we continue to 
to grow the girls side of the game and, and promote yeah. it and, and, and make it equal to the boys. Right. Great question, John. We have had in the past year, year and a half, a group of women coaches that are doing a grow the game uh, kind of initiative. And uh, this has been led by Terry Rogers up at Nutrier, Kerry Redeker, who's a junior college coach at ICC, uh, Debbie Kaufman, uh, Kim Wences from Yorkville, Debbie's at Bloomington Central Catholic. And they have met the last two clinics we've had uh, the last one virtually, but the previous one downstate two years ago, we had a, a separate uh, meeting and, and wound up with close to 50 women, girl, women coaches of, of girls basketball programs in the room. And obviously we have males that coach the girls side as well. And there really is a situation where um, I have certainly been made aware of uh, things that are just different. You know, I don't want to uh, you know, you hate to talk about the, the inequality or inequity kinds. I mean, these are such buzzwords these days, but those things seem to be real with what's going on here. And we need to certainly with, with our organization, we need to be aware of that and help that grow so that we have as level a playing field as we can for all our kids, for all our coaches. So this group in particular has done that. They have highlighted specific uh, girls basketball uh, oriented clinic situations uh, with, uh, I, I think we had the head women's coaches from UIC and Illinois State University with one of our virtuals this past fall. And, and those women are outstanding. You talk about tremendous role models for, for coaches, for our women coaches, but coaches in general, these were just sharp young women and they are all about culture they are all about integrity and then you start getting to the x's and o's and they're awesome at that and you know that's what we need it's just you know it's special stuff and we want to keep growing it as best we can so uh when we were doing you know our research and, and john was we were talking you graduated with degrees in pe and psychology so yes, obviously, obviously PE fits into right, coaching, right? That's, that's kind of a typical path. Uh, it is, a PE, yeah. yeah. A PE and health degree. Um, but, but how do you think the psychology part of, of your degree helped you when it came to coaching? Yeah, that, that <laughs> interestingly, I believe it has, but I can tell you a story back to my collegiate playing days at uh, what was then Illinois Benedictine University with or Benedictine College, which is now Benedictine University. And I played for an amazing guy there, Coach Tony Lascala. And, and we were shooting free throws at one point, uh, one of these days getting our free throws in. And I was just struggling with that. And Coach hit me right between the eyes with the psychology major thing. He said, come on, Tracy, what are you doing over there? You're a psychology major. You should be able to figure that out. And he was kind of right. And I, I couldn't quite figure it out then, but I'd like to think I've moved in a positive direction with stuff like that later. Um, you know, without getting real technical with the psychology stuff, there's all these theories of, you know, how we behave and everything else like that. But one of the things that's always stood out to me is, is the idea of a growth model. And there's this guy named Abraham Maslow who talked about a, a pyramid, which ultimately leads to self-actualization, but it's based on human needs. And if our needs are not met at various levels, we struggle with that. And we all have our most basic needs, food, water, and so on. Then we get into safety needs, but then we get into love where we're cared for. And the next level up is self-esteem or respect. And then we feel good about ourselves. And ultimately, hopefully, we get to this idea where we are somewhat self-actualized and we fluctuate, we go back and forth. And I see that so, uh, so strongly in how we as coaches deal with our young people you know again you guys are, are quality guys you are our super basketball coaches you know that as, as so many of our great coaches across the state do uh, the x's and o's they're they're wonderful they're fun they're great to play with and everything but coaching is about relationships coaching is about how much do we care about our kids? And, and I'm a big quote guy. And one of my favorites is kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you show them that you're caring about them, 
that you're loving them, that you are taking care of them, that, that you've got their back. You've established a trust through your communication, through your efforts there, where they're going to play for you. And if you can grow that the right way, you've got something special together where they're going to run through walls for you. And, and I think that's truly, truly special. And when it goes past the love to the respect, the esteem as well, where, man, I love you to death. And I am so proud of you. I, I just, I respect the heck out of what you've done here. You've gotten so much better. When we can start growing relationships with our kids that way, these are hopefully the kinds of things that are going to put them in a position where they grow from these things. They become better young people as they move on through their own lives. And someday they're going to be far better husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, all these employees, all of it, because that's what it's all about ultimately in the long run. So, you know, excuse my little uh, kind of thought process there, but, but I've always loved that line of thinking. I think it ties beautifully into what we do on a daily basis with our young people. It was funny, Todd, as Todd mentioned, you know, we like to do our homework on a guest. When I looked at the yeah, the, yeah. the the homework and uh, you went into the Benedictine Hall of Fame in 2013, Todd's <laughs> wife went in in 2015. Oh, so oh I was yeah. like, all right, yeah. there you go. Lucky to be there with her. <laughs> Lucky to be there. So yeah, Coach Scala, he had two favorite words for me. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, it was don't shoot. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Again, what a what a great guy, great influence. I was so fortunate, both Coach Lascala and, and I played at St. Lawrence for Coach Chuck, Chuck Schwartz, and he just passed away recently. But how fortunate was I to have two Hall of Fame men to play for, to be mentors, role models for me. So I consider myself very blessed. Well, and I think that that ties perfectly, Coach, into what I wanted to talk about next is, you know, you coached at two very different places between D. Right. who obviously I play every year in my conference, and then Revis. Right. You know, right. one one's a private school, one's a public school. So just kind of, you know, for the coaches out there, you know, having coached in both, what, what are the major differences? What are the, some of the similarities? What were some of the challenges of each? You know, because we have listeners in public and private. So I, th I thought it was a great question to ask you. Yeah, it, and you know, I, I'm going to say this and it's going to come off, I hope not flippant, but kids are kids. Now, I will say this. I think that in the private school situations, there may be higher expectations for kids in general, based on the fact that tuition is being paid, that there's a whole lot of investment on the part of parents. And I'm not saying that that's not the case in our public schools, but it may not be to the same degree. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's a different situation. And John, as you know, in our public or excuse me, in our private school situations, and with me back to my alma mater here at St. Lawrence, you know, we recruit all our students and I, I, I'm not out of line in saying that that's something that, yeah, no. you know, we have admissions people uh, that, that go out and, and we have to seek out young people to uh, come to our buildings, to, to fill our seats, to hopefully pass on the educational values and traditions that our schools are all based on. And there's so many excellent ones with our little differences here and there, but ultimately I think we're all seeking the same thing. I think in the public schools, they certainly serve uh, a similar purpose, but I don't know if it's quite to the same degree for, for so many reasons. And it's just, it's, it's, it's part of, what is required by law, by society, that, 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 but I think when you take those situations, you can still within your own program situations, hopefully, and we certainly tried to do this at both places, develop a culture that is, that is all about all the right things, all the, the best life values that can be learned and all the right ways to, you know, uh, to be the best people we can be, excuse the cliches, but that didn't change for us from De La Salle to Revis. What, what did change is that at, at Revis, uh, like I said, I was more, more often than not the biggest guy on our team at De La Salle. Um, I was incredibly fortunate in, in having had the opportunity in my seven years, I spent 12 years there, uh, amazing years at an amazing school. And in my seven years as head coach, I was fortunate to coach eight division one players. So, you know, that'll make you a pretty good coach. And, uh, and they were great kids to, uh, to boot. And, 
you know, not just them because they weren't all D1 kids. You know, we had other kids. A lot of the kids wanted to go on and play. Some didn't. Now, in the public school situations, I haven't seen that as much, but we've had some great kids from Rebus who wanted to play in collegiate situations and they still love the game and wanted to keep doing that. So there's a whole lot of similarities. And, you know, I think those are the things we want to focus on more than the differences. Um, all right. So coach, you've, you've obviously had an amazing career, uh, a hall of fame career. Uh, That's a bunch of great kids and a bunch of great assistants is no, what that is. You're, you're, <laughs> I knew he totally was going right. to respond like that. that. That's the truth though. I mean, you, you guys, you know how valuable your people oh, are. Absolutely. Around absolutely. The kids. So are, that, that's what that is. You are totally right. But we, we want to, we want you to take us through. I think every coach has a, uh, whether it's now, you know, they're still in their coaching career or at the end of their coaching career has a loss oh. that they learned a lot from. Could you take yeah. us through one of the, one of those losses that you, you really learned a lot from? You know, <laughs> you guys were kind enough to send me those questions. And then I looked at that one and I'm like, oh, and, and this is a tough one for me because it's like, why is it that we as coaches remember those losses so much more in our gut that we do those amazing wins that we've been fortunate to have the losses just stick and, 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 you know, uh, but, but I'll take you back to, uh, gosh, it would, would have been, uh, at De La Salle. Um, we were 11 and one going into then a Gordon tech, which is now DePaul prep, um, and Steve Pappas, God rest his soul. What an amazing man person and coach, uh, a tremendous guy. And he had this little guy running around the court named Tommy Kleinschmidt and a few others running around with him. And we had some, uh, we had a couple outstanding young men who were going to go on and play at the University of Illinois. So there was no, no lack of talent there. And, and that gym over on California Avenue up on the north side was as full as I've ever seen the thing. And uh, we got beat there in an overtime game, which ultimately determined they're tying with Leo and Jack Fitzgerald's great team uh, for the Catholic League championship and us finishing right behind them. And it, it came down to their, their score with about eight, 10 seconds left. Uh, we called timeout. We do the old Hubie play, throw the ball down to our best kid. And, you know, we actually make the play work and the kid catches the ball and we, uh, he goes up to shoot it. We think he gets fouled. There is no foul called. It's most situations happen that way and you know and, and we wind up getting beat and, and you know I, I've always tried to uh, and I hear the frustration of coaches in these situations and we have all been through it and, and if you haven't and if you're a coach out here listening to this you need to be on both sides of that. You need to be in a situation where you have a kid make a shot to win a game like that. And you also need to experience the other side. Well, this is the other side of that. And uh, in that particular case, it was just devastating. It was, uh, you know, we had been ranked, I believe, third in the state much of the season. And, you know, and that was just, uh, you know, just a devastating, devastating loss. And it still hurts, but, uh, but I remember from that team, Kleinschmidt, Jason Bay, the other great kids they had back then, uh, they deserved it. And on that given night, Steve Pappas' kids uh, were the one point better than our kids. And Steve, Steve was a better coach that night than I was. And I tried to grow from it. I tried to learn from it. And I used that hurt to fuel me to make sure that if we were ever in that situation again, we, we try to make sure that we could, uh, could keep that from happening, but it's part of the game. And I, I, you know, we'd always talk with our kids again with my quotes, the stuff that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, you know, that was close to killing us, but, you know, hopefully we came out of it better and tougher, more resilient, you know, for the future. So tough stuff, the good old Catholic Lee stuff, man. Oof. We love, we love to ask that question about loss yeah, because it's yeah. always such a unique, it's always such a unique answer for everybody. Everybody always has that yeah. one story. So, yeah. you know, we wanted to, we wanted to delve in uh, just to, to talk to 
you know, for a young coach that's listening and, and talk about practice planning, because the, the age old joke is, you know, if it was just games, everybody would coach forever. So, right. you know, as, as a coach, you know, when you started out, you know, your first year as a head coach to, to your last year as a head coach, kind of take us through like, you know, in the beginning, how you formatted practices, you know, towards the end, you know, what were things you kept doing? What were things you stopped doing? What were things you added? Things that you emphasize in practice over your career? Yeah, boy, that that is a, a super question, John. Um, interestingly, I, I and I'm not sure where I got this from, but I was always from being a head freshman coach to then five years as a head sophomore coach at De La Salle. I don't think I no. I actually I was frosh, and and we had frosh and softs practice together. So I kind of did what the head sophomore coach did my first year but then I became the head soft coach and for those five years we had a detailed practice plan for everything that we wanted to do in the given time that we were allotted and I look back on some of those uh, practice plans and you know I had like eight ten minute blocks here and there over the course of an hour and 45 minutes or whatever it was we were allotted and it was more general what I, what I found when I look back on that then. And as we kind of progressed, I had two years in Missouri where uh, my wife calls those our two years on vacation with our furniture, but a whole lot of growing down there. Boy, I, uh, you know, we had a challenging situation down there. And then I was fortunate to get to Revis and uh, look back on those practice plans. What I found happened is hopefully I became more detailed in terms of now we're going to go to smaller breakdowns. We've got five minute breaks here, three minutes of this, uh, just three more minutes of that. We were more aware of incorporating fundamental soundness, whether it be ball handling kinds of things, passing, taking care of the basketball is so critical. I mean, the game is really simple when you get down to it. You know, you, you guard it, you get it, you score it, and then you start it again. You know, it, it's so you, you incorporate those things. How do you do those things? And the ability to break those down, whether you're a man to man person, a person coach or a zone, you've got all kinds of variables you want to work into those situations. But what do you have to do there? You got to stay in front of your person and you got to get the ball back. So you need to be in position at all times. So teaching that aspect of the game from a defensive perspective, so important. One of the things I was most proud of with the kids we had at Rebus is I wasn't kidding about that 20 passes. We would do that sometimes, but I felt like we would all, always get a good shot and the kids knew that the shots that they were shooting were the shots we wanted. It wasn't a me thing. And I think one of the things that I am concerned that I see in our game today is you know, there's a whole lot of my shot out there and it shouldn't ever be my shot. It should be our shot. And if I'm shooting something and some other guys are not sure that that's a good shot, there should be a cultural thing that says, Hey, you know, let's get together on this. Or I don't know. I, I, mean, I see these hurry up offenses and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not sold on that. I'm not saying that that can't be a good thing, but I go back to the fundamental soundness of that. And I think one of the biggest things that hopefully helped our kids as we grew was situational awareness. We would go over so many situations. I mean, you look at the games with, with the women, with the men in the semis and the finals. Oh my goodness. There was some outstanding stuff going on where offenses made plays. Defense got stops. You could see what people were trying to do. And, and it's just a matter. It comes down to the will of the kids and the, the, uh, coaches trying to put the kids in the proper positions and it determines ultimately success or failure from that perspective. And, and I think doing those kinds of things on a daily basis, whether, you know, we'd go score, stop, score, we need to score, then we need to get a stop. We need to score. And we do that first team against second team. Now, all the second team has got to do is have the, the first team turn the ball over one time they win. And we'd always have a consequence for that. We do that with shooting games. We do that with ball handling games, playing with consequences, playing small sided games that could just bring out the best of our kids, but put them into situations that are going to be game like situations really reinforces in a competitive way how these kids need to be and what's going to bring out their best when it is most required of them. So I hope that makes sense. 
So perfect, perfect leading. The other well, night, I did that. I did that on purpose. You, I know you did, Coach. You, you perfect. Did. Set us right not, up. Not a, not a clue. Set us right up. Gonzaga UCLA, tremendous oh, game, like one yes. of the best games. Oh my! Right? Oh my! But but situation, right? UCLA, yes. yeah, goes scores tie the yep. game. Yeah. Right. And this is this is another. I don't know if it's controversial, but it's highly debated, right? Timeout. Yes. No right. timeout. Absolutely. Gonzaga doesn't call a timeout. They get it. They right. go. Yeah. Now, nobody can anticipate a 35-foot bank shot, but, you know, they, did, they didn't call a timeout. So what are your thoughts on call timeout, let them play? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, that's one of the best questions you can ask anybody, especially young coaches. You need to know that going in. How are you going to handle that situation? My feeling is this. You save those timeouts. And I'll kind of, I'll come back to it in a second, but I'm a big believer when you got kids diving for loose balls in the first quarter and they get tied up. A lot of coaches will call timeout respectfully. I, we're not wasting a time out there. We're going to teach our kids. We want to get on the ball on the floor first for that ball. And we want kids coming to that teammate to catch the ball. So we don't use a timeout there. Now, if we get in the fourth quarter and we need to do that, We'll do that then, but we want to save those timeouts for if and when we need them. So we practice that situation, I guess is my point. But to go into the situation that you're talking about, again, I go back to the situational things that we would do at the ends of our practices usually, and that that would be a situation where I thought that was absolutely the right thing to do to not call timeout. When you call timeout, You've changed everything there. Now the defense can get set. The defense may change the look they give you. So you come out of there, and if you don't have a, a man situation or a man look and a, a zone look, you're not going to be prepared for that kind of thing. So, uh, and the other thing is, again, understanding in the way my little brain works, I was trying to read the time on the clock. We, I forget who I learned this from, but I will tell you, Pat Sullivan, University of St. Francis has been just, mm -hmm. when I look back on all our practice plans and the things we do, the drills we did, it had Coach Sully earmarked all over that. So I likely got this thing from him too. The thought is that for every basketball move you make with X number of seconds left, each dribble, each quick pass, not long pass, counts for about a second. And I believe the Suggs kid had three and a half to four seconds left. And if you watch that video, you will see him, the amazing athlete that he is, catch the ball, turn the corner, and he literally dribbled the ball three times, which athletes like, like Suggs can do and get across half court to the position he did before he shot it. So I think that clearly that was a practiced, or I'd like to think it is with coach few. And again, those guys are such amazing coaches. Um, that was a practice situation and they did just what they needed to do to give them the best possibility to score the ball in that situation. But I just, I love those. You can't do that stuff enough for your kids. And then when you get in those situations, if you've practiced it and, and then you wind up in a timeout to reinforce in their minds, to grow the confidence with them. Hey, you guys, we have done this. Remember when we practiced this the other day? We've done this before. You guys know how to do this. That's how we're going to win this game. You can now instill in them a reinforcement of the confidence level they've had from already having been there and done that in a practice situation. And hopefully that plays itself out and resulting in a more successful situation. So hope that makes sense. Oh, for sure. So, uh, you know, I was just, I was just actually texting John. Follow up to that because yeah. You just talked about the rules changes. So yes, the college men's game is completely different than the women's game. In the women's game, you could have taken a timeout in that situation and yeah. advanced, advanced the ball. The ball. That's right. true. You know, right. so, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe yeah, at the yeah. college level, why do you, why do you think that, that, that there's the difference now in the women's game? It, it seems like, at least at the college level, is a little bit more advanced right. than, well, than the, it men, the men's game has had. Stuff. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know that I, I feel like that's good. You know, eventually that trickles down 
right to the high school level. It, it seems to, you know, that seems to be the trend that we're going to. And obviously that puts another variable into place that may then make it a very good situation to call that timeout. And when we would do that, you know, just as an example, late game situation, if we've got, if we've saved one of those timeouts, cause we didn't call timeout on a loose ball early on and we've got two left, someone shooting a free throw and we're down two and they miss that second free throw. We're going to call timeout. And we know we've got one in our pocket, so there may be four seconds left. The next thing hopefully we're going to do is inbound the ball and try and get it to half court and call another timeout. So now we're getting, and again, if you get in the college situation, you can move it to half court. You've eliminated that process. But in my mind, the kind of thinking that would go from there is every time you've got a timeout, you're giving yourself five more seconds to take that 4.99, depending on who's roughing. Let's not go there. Um, but, you know, you got, you've got that kind of time situation now. And so you, you can look at that extra time to make decisions for the kids to get in positions to win. And then with that three seconds left, now, hey, you guys, you've got three things you can do. You can dribble, pass, shoot. You can dribble, dribble, shoot. You know, you can pass, pass, shoot, whatever it is. And we've talked about it. We've practiced it. They trust it. And hopefully we feel prepared for it. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I, interesting. The rules obviously dictate the game and hopefully those things are going to trickle down. I think they make the game better. They certainly make us think more as coaches. And I love that. I mean, that's special to me. That That is an interesting point about the women's game and advancing the ball. I never, yeah. I never thought of it until Todd just Yeah, yeah. So great point. We like to finish with the top five for in every episode, you know, of our first season. So, you know, for you specifically, you know, you've been involved in the Illinois game a long time, except for uh, your vacation in Missouri there. Yes. Uh, so, yes. Know, what are what are the top five things you see as changes for basketball in Illinois in the next decade? Oh boy. Well, the, the biggest one that you guys have brought up so well is is the likely impl implementation of the shot clock, and uh, I think that uh, you know uh, that is going to kind of give us common ground across the game spectrum. And I don't know if that'll work its way down to the grammar schools, but again, in the big picture, from the worldview, you've got kids in Europe, South America, they're playing a game in grade school with shot clocks. So if we want to create that level playing field. I don't think it's a bad thing to teach our kids to be able to do that and prepare themselves. And, and obviously most kids, you know, if, if they're fortunate enough to play at high school, the majority don't go on to play at college. So it's not like, and I, I'm always concerned when people say we got to get them ready for college. Well, how many of your kids go on to college to play? Yeah, exactly. You got 16 kids on the team and two of them go on to play. Yeah. You know, how are we taking care of the other 14? But, you know, I digress. Um, the, uh, so I think the shot clock, We'll make the game better. I think it's just it's, it's a more fluid, more flowing game and basketball is a game uh, that I think is highlighted with that. Um, the other stuff wouldn't be kind of with the game itself. I still think we have such challenges with uh, um, and it's across the country. When I heard the other day that there are 25 plus percent of college freshmen in a transfer portal that mm -hmm. just scares the heck out of me mm -hmm. and you talk about trickle down you guys have mentioned that the good things of the game trickle down look at how this trickles down look at how through travel ball we have kids becoming free agents and then they go to high school to, well they do the super teams already with the travel ball you know so you've got aau programs that are a variety of levels and that has clearly trickled down where we have kids transferring from school to school. When I see a young man or a young woman that has been in three high schools in their four years over their high school education, that's disturbing to me. I mean, unless, unless there are legitimate reasons, families moving, things like that. But, you know, we're all, I think, bright enough to, to see that that is not always the case. I, so uh, I think that concerns me for the game. I think we lose some of our, you know, what, what are the right reasons we're doing this when we get involved in that stuff? Is it all about winning or all, all about putting together the best teams or 
hey, let's work our butts off to get or have the best kids we have within our programs. And then let's go make them the best they can be and teach them all the great lessons the game teaches them. They have special memories and hopefully friendships that last for a lifetime. And then we've done them a great service. Um, you know, I, that that would be my biggest concern with stuff that's going on right now. You know, apart from that, we, we and especially I speak on behalf of the IBCA, we just want to continue to be available and continue to serve our coaches, be aware of what our coaches need, what they want, how we can help them be better. And then obviously through our coaches, you know, at the bottom line is we're all taking care of our young people. That That's it. It is a privilege. It's an honor. It's a blessing to be able to do that. So, you know, hopefully we can all continue to do that and help each other as much as we're trying to beat each other's brains out, help each other in that process because that ultimately is is the the best way to be and the right thing to do. So. Well, coach, we, Todd and I were talking, we were, we were so excited to have you on. This is actually, uh, Todd, uh, Todd will agree with me. This is one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded. Oh, you guys. Um, I mean, really, truly, I I know, you know, I I know you will, you will come at it with humility, but it it was so phenomenal. Some of the things you shared and, and it was, it was really fun to just talk the game with you. And and that's Todd and my goal of this whole podcast is we just want to grow the game. We just want to talk the game. This started because it was, it was two coaches on uh, COVID yep, uh, delay and we were missing the right. game and that's it, just it. That's turned it. into something great. So thank you, coach. Again, we, uh, we really appreciate you. I, being I, I cannot thank you guys enough. And, and again, what you guys are doing with this, these kinds of things, if there may be a young coach that's hearing you guys and the messages that you bring in with all the awesome people you, you, you put out here, when you bring in a guy like Will Ray, you know, I'll still listen to Will and I'll take two pages of notes. I mean, that, that's it. When we stop learning, we stop. And uh, you guys are putting people in a situation where they can continue to grow and learn. And in any way that I hopefully have been a help with that, very fortunate honor you guys would, uh, would consider reaching out to me. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching after the timeout. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and everything in between.